And this was the the kind of like newfangled rice cooker phase um, when I think rice cooker technology had really like, you know, jumped leaps and bounds. This is Plastic Urns, and that was Anna talking about rice cookers and her mom's laissez-faire approach to life. Anna is a mechanical engineer, welder, bike builder, avid cyclist, coffee aficionado, photographer, and pickup truck driver. She also had some qualms around flying with her mom. When I wasn't on the same flight as her, it was fine. Like, (laughs) the last time we... No, not the last time we traveled together, but one of the more, like, recent times um, was five years ago in six years ago 2015 when we had gone back to china or we i don't know yeah spent some time in asia between like china and japan and this was the the kind of like newfangled rice cooker phase um when i think rice cooker technology had really like you know jumped leaps and bounds from the rice cookers of our rice cooker that we had growing up now they have these like really fancy like pressurized ones that like can cook the gaba brown rice to extract the amino acid that like accelerates neurotransmitter function in the I don't know there's like all sorts of like cool stuff that Zoji Rushi is doing um and so she had like <laughs> learned about these like rice I don't know her aunt or her sister my aunt um had recently got a new rice cooker um and we had you know lots of like rice during all the meals at home and she was convinced that this rice was like by far the best rice that she had ever had and that my aunt was like oh it's definitely the rice cooker um and so when we were in Japan we went on a hunt for you know, like a nice, like Japanese, like Zojirushi or Tiger rice cooker from one of those like giant, like Japanese electronic stores. Um, and spent so long, like looking for the rice, right rice cooker and like sampling the little cups of rice that they cook and like have out for you to try so that you can buy the best rice cooker that she cut it kind of close with getting on the subway to get to the airport to catch her flight home from Japan. And then inevitably like got on the wrong train going in the wrong direction realized 30 minutes in, got off at another stop, missed the other train going back the other way and then missed her flight as a result. But like, I have a great memory of that experience because it's just kind of like a, you know, a fun (laughs) anecdote on my end. Um, Was she going from Japan back to San Francisco? Yeah. That's a good flight to miss. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And did she buy a rice cooker? She got the rice cooker. Did it work well? Well, then when we got home, there was the whole realization that they run on like 204, 240 or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And so we weren't sure if it would blow up or if it would work. And then she bought like a big, like some kind of adapter converter. Uh, Yeah, to go from 120 to... Yeah, yeah. But it was like, you know, like a giant appliance that we weren't, you know, counting on, (laughs) like having on top of the kitchen counter along with the rice cooker. So she's kind of like upset at having to use that. Wow. All right, that's a... I I see the laissez-faire existence. (laughs) I'm curious how a laissez-faire existence translated to her was she had cancer correct Mm -hmm. to her having cancer in some ways like definitely too much at first like she so the you know the full like gory technical details are that it was some like gnarly late stage stomach cancer it's pretty i don't know just like pretty wild that like that can that could like get that far along in your body and you have no idea and like only catch it at stage four and I learned a lot about, or, you know, learned like a, a little, I guess, through like talking to um, a friend in med school about like how screening and our understanding of cancer works and how just like a lot of health is very population, like statistics based. And that, 
stomach cancer is very common in um, in like Japan and Korea because they have a diet that's really high in pickled foods, which are high in nitrates. And then there's also like this bacteria called H. pylori that can lead to ulcers and then ultimately be, be like a long term like stomach irritant that can is usually like strong overlap between like being diagnosed with stomach cancer and then having had H. pylori. And that's like very common and I don't know, spreads like through drinking water and stuff through lots of Southeast Asia. So yeah, a number of like risk factors are, you know, known and exist for Asian populations, but they're not necessarily the things that like get screened for in America the same way that we screen for like, you know, like breast cancer and colon cancer and whatnot. Looking back, it's like, oh, maybe that was like a known thing that should have been something that we looked out for. But at the same, you know, like not having that data or like not being not having not being aware of that through like the whatever medical like health literature and stuff that you're exposed to. It's just kind of like, you know, totally blindsided. It never even like occurred to me that stomach cancer was a thing. So like a week before she started feeling any kind of ill, she, you know, she was like, you know, an avid runner going on like 10, 12 mile runs, like a very like healthy lifestyle, like ate super healthy, exercised a lot, you know, ran, did yoga, um, generally like very like fit, healthy person. And then like, I think a, a while before she had felt like a lump somewhere in her stomach um, and was just convinced that this was like indigestion. Um, and her solution was just to kind of like massage it every evening. And looking back, it's like, that was obviously a fucking tumor, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, you know, in some ways, like in a very ironic, like turn of events that like laissez-faire approach to life, uh, you know, came back around and like the whole like story of figuring out the the situation with cancer. And I like, I don't know, I say like laissez-faire and like in a, you know, in the best possible way. Like, I think she was good at like not stressing over the, the small things and had like a really good like take and philosophy on life not that she like didn't take like the big things or the important things seriously but just like you know wasn't about to like sweat bullets over like the the like stupid little things that we let ourselves like get so wrapped up in your description of how your mom massaged her tumor and then went to doctors then found out she was sick was eerily similar to how it happened for my mom like she had just posted on facebook that she was 20 years breast cancer free and then was like huh my side feels kind of tight when I'm doing yoga, but then she didn't really care for a couple of months. And then she ended up getting it checked out because she was like, yeah, it just feels a little too tight around my ribs, I, but I probably just pulled a muscle. And then as it turned out, she had a 17 centimeter tumor on her liver, which is effectively a nerf football of metastatic breast cancer. So quite ironic. And I still have no idea how she never recognized a 17 centimeter tumor was there. Right? Yeah. It's like insane how, I don't know, just like in some ways adaptable the body is. And then all of a sudden it's just like way too late to do anything about it. So how long was it from when that diagnosis happened until she died? The diagnosis was like July, end of July, August of 2019 now. And then she passed away in February of 2020. So like eight months that seems like an awkward amount of time where it's not like it was years, but it's also not like it was a week. Yeah, it's like very much a time frame where, you know, like quality of life is, I mean, there was like a small like upswing when she started chemo, you know, quality of life improved steadily for a little bit, peaked maybe in like October, I think. And then after that, it was just kind of like a slow decline. And then at that point, like, you know, you know, like maybe you're holding out hope initially for like, okay, maybe, you know, like we'll switch treatments and like, what are the other options here? Like maybe there are clinical trials and, you know, like still had like a couple little items of like hope to latch onto. But then at some point it becomes clear that it's just like a, a trajectory that's not changing. That's a decline. 
And then it's kind of, you know, this sort of like morbid question of like how much more time, you know, and in some ways it's just like the, you know, the more someone is suffering, the less time you want to see them in that state. But at the same time, like you're never wishing for it to end because you're never really ready for for them to be gone. There was no denial, you know, like she's very real about it. I think the other like, you know, big layer of irony on top of all of this is that she she spent her career as a as a scientist um, in the biotech world working on more recently at like pharmaceutical companies and then most recently like developing immunotherapy drugs to treat cancer coming at it from that like very scientific mindset I think she like knew from the very get-go like you know kind of like what her odds were and like what it meant there's definitely a lot of um hope that she latched onto at the beginning and I don't really know like how much of that was for our sake versus like what she knew internally but you know like I think at the very beginning it was kind of like oh, you know, like, yeah, prognosis doesn't seem great, but, you know, if these are all of the, you know, the, like, markers that they're screening for that might make me eligible for, like, this treatment or this trial or this thing, you know. So I think there was certainly some of that, but I think she was very realistic about it all throughout. Anna's mom was on chemo to help her extend her life for most of her decline until it waned in efficacy and they opted for in-home hospice care instead. We decided in maybe middle of February to move into palliative care, you know, like hospice care at home. And then after that, it was like a really quick decline. I thought it would be much longer. And my dad, I don't know, I think like also kind of knew that death was imminent. Like he pointed out once or twice that she was sleeping more and more. And, you know, they tell you that that's like a sign, but in my mind that was like oh yeah that you know maybe like another like two to six weeks or something of this and so actually like my roommate Jamie had invited us to go visit um, and stay with his parents just outside of Aspen and I was kind of on the fence about this is like the third weekend in February I think um, and I was kind of like on the fence about whether or not to go you know we just like made the decision about ending treatment and moving into palliative care and then you know I decided that like you know my, I don't know it's like you know mom I feel like I should stay home and spend time with you and she's like no no you know you should go like she'd wanted to see the house that we were living in and I was like yeah you know like you know, as soon as I'm back, like, well, I, you know, it doesn't matter if you can't walk up the stairs, like, we'll carry you in a wheelchair. Like, you know, we, you know, very much like made these plans and like had this conversation around like, you know, fully expecting her to still be back uh, or still be there when I came back. Um, and so I made the decision to like go on this weekend trip to Colorado with my friends. And then, yeah, I like distinctly remember the moment of being, you know, like being in and out of cell service. And then, stopping for lunch, opening my phone while waiting in line for food, and then seeing a message on WeChat where her best friend had been helping communicate with family in China because, um, you know, being much more fluent in Chinese than I was, she was, you know, much easier for her to bridge the, bridge the language gap there. And, yeah, just kind of, like, read the message in a, you know, like how sometimes you don't, like, fully read a text message. You just kind of, like, scan the whole thing and sort of, like, get a sense of what it is because you're, like, too scared to, like, read it word by word. Like, had that kind of moment. It was, like, today at noon, um, Jin Hong left us, but, you know, in Chinese. And I don't know, it just, like, didn't feel real. You know, it was, like, this 
like a you know like is it is it just like my understanding of Chinese is not there like <laughs> this isn't right <laughs> and then just like the yeah totally like surreal moment you know of being like surrounded by like life is just continuing to go on like normal around you and then like my friends and like you know Jamie's moms you know they're all like sitting at the you know table eating lunch and it's like so surreal that it doesn't really like hit you in that moment it's almost like easier to just like carry on and keep it together you know and just like had you know like went on and like skied the rest of the afternoon and like I don't know a couple moments is like holding back tears but I was like I can't you know I can't now like if I (laughs) if I like you know let the floodgates open now like I'm never gonna be able to stop crying so yeah like kept it together for the rest of the day and then just like and bawled my eyes out for two hours like you know like not even trying trying to not even like let myself start beating myself up for not being there and at the end of the day like I don't think that you know it's obviously like a regret but there are like so many bigger regrets than just that one moment you know but that's still something that I don't know it's a little weird with me you know it's just like the surreal nature of like processing that news and like having been there for like the whole you know seven months of her you know fighting cancer and then being gone for that like last minute you know just like it was so fast like I not expected to happen that soon Mm -hmm. and where was your brother when she died he was at school in Pittsburgh and where's your dad my dad was at home with her so I actually have a theory on this my dad died from esophageal cancer during the pandemic and I kept trying to go out to Chicago from California to find a time to see him, but he kept saying no because he was super worried about COVID, especially in his tremendously immunocompromised state. But then one day he just kind of said, yeah, why don't you come out sometime soon? And given how quickly I'd seen my mom decline, I ended up booking a flight for like two days later. Now, when I had FaceTimed with my dad previously on WhatsApp, he wasn't in great shape, but he also didn't appear to be on his deathbed. Like he could hold full conversations, he could laugh, he could make a joke. Except then when I got to Chicago, he had this kind of unbelievably quick decline where he basically went through the last three months of my mom's life and her full degradation in a week. Now, my brother was in Hong Kong at the time and conveniently had a flight booked such that he would arrive a week after me in Chicago. So he lands in Chicago. I pick him up from the airport and take him home. And he was hoping to have some last meaningful time with our dad. But... Our dad had started to decline so quickly that all he could muster when my brother arrived were just some kind of semi-sweet ramblings while he was hallucinating. And then that was the last night he spoke. So we wake up the next day, and he's basically in this comatose state. My sister and stepmom, who both live in Chicago, were also there. And the whole day, we kind of stayed close by the house, waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, waiting for my dad to finally die. But nothing happens. So next day we wake up and he's in the same comatose state. And at this point, we kind of just kind of wanted him to die, not in a cruel way, but just so he could be out of any pain or torment he might have been in. And so I was thinking maybe we needed to get out of the house so he could die alone. So my brother and sister and I go to brunch. My my stepmom mutters around in the garden and we come back two hours later, kind of fully expecting him to be dead. But nope, he's still steadily kind of heavily breathing away. Um, And so we'd been in touch with his healer who had done body work and some meditation with him over the past six or so years. And she asked if she could come over that afternoon. We said, sure. And she ended up brushing his teeth, brushing his hair and holding him as he slept. And my brother, sister and I were downstairs watching Goodwill hunting at the time. 
And my stepmom was out walking the dog. And then after kind of no more than 15 minutes of my dad's healer holding him, he died. And I say all that in a very long-winded way of saying that I think that's kind of what he needed. He wanted to, he wanted to know his family was close, but not too close. He wanted to look his best and he wanted to be held and to feel safe as he went on to whatever was next. And so I think your mom might've wanted the same thing where she was with her husband and she knew that you and your brother loved her, but she may not have wanted to die in front of you. And so when you went to Colorado and your brother was back in school, she might've found that it was kind of finally time or finally okay for her to release. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never, never thought about it that way before. In some ways like a helpful perspective, you know, like a, the thing I want to latch on to, but did you tell anyone after reading that text? <laughs> I don't think I told, uh, you know, Jamie, Russell, Holly, and Jamie's family while we were there in Colorado. And I don't even know if I told them afterwards exactly when it happened. So you were just crying alone in a room, and then everyone was like, oh, that's just Anna, you know, crying in a room. Don't mind her. No, I just, like... <laughs> I like, you know, like uh, sat on the toilet and bawled my eyes out like one does and then like took a long shower and then just like popped back upstairs. Like everything was, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like in some ways it's like nice to it's not that I didn't feel like I could tell them, you know, but it's like in some ways it's nice to like have part of your life continue on as if things are normal, you know, and to like have that to latch on to rather than have everything turn on you all at once. And so I think it was like out of that that I, you know, like tried to like partition sort of what was, what was going on. So once upon a time, you mentioned to me that you actually knew one of your doctors. And I'm curious what that story is. Oh, it's super weird experience. I think my mom was in the ICU, maybe. Like, things were a little, like, more dicey at that point. She had developed an allergic reaction to one of the components in the, like, you know, three-drug chemo cocktail that she was on. And so they just, like, took her off that initially. But at the same time, there was this option to give it to you in like a very like slow escalating series of doses where they monitor your response in the ICU and then at some point if like you get the like major allergic reaction flare-up they just like pump you full of steroids or antihistamines or whatever to to deal with that response but maybe it was like during one of those treatments so you know just like a little like more like stressful higher stakes like ICU just like not a great like you know situation to be in I think she'd also had like fluid building up in her lungs and there's a, you know, a specific procedure to drain that. And that's like, you know, classic, like, uh, like this is a great opportunity to get like a med student experience with like draining fluid from your lungs. And you're like, oh, like, you know, like, can we have the most like qualified person do this? There was, yeah, somebody that I knew from high school, actually, she came in and she was one of the, you know, the people like making decisions about or, you know, informing decisions about like procedurally, should they do this first? Like, what are the risks of it? Should they do it at all? Like, when should they time this relative to the other things that have to happen today? Yeah, I, I think like at the end of it, she came over and she was like, yeah, so I know that like I know you and this could be weird. So if you want to like, you know, not have me like be involved, you know, be like on the roster of like 
people giving your mom care like you can say so that's totally fine like I won't take it personally and I don't know like for whatever reason I like felt like I had to be like no no it's chill like (laughs) you know it's cool like I you know like I acknowledge I know you but like I trust you and then like afterwards I realized that yeah like it really is like a weird situation you know it's not like we had any prior like super like strong relationship either good or bad but just like having some kind of like prior you know having like crossed paths with this person in a prior life and to now have them in this situation that's so like intimate you know like knowing these like very like personal details about like what's going on with you know like a person very close to you in your life and then also you know by proxy like knowing what's going on in my life is yeah it is kind of a weird spot and so then afterwards you know I didn't like you know, go 180 on that decision. But I was like, oh, yeah, maybe like in the future, I would rather my doctors or like, you know, people I'm interacting with in the hospital be like a little bit more anonymous to me. Were there any brighter moments that came either as she was dying or after she died? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Shortly after she was diagnosed, her older sister, so she has three siblings, an older, oldest brother, then older sister and then a younger bro- or brother and then her as the youngest in the family and so her sister and second youngest like her her older but the youngest brother both were able to come out and live with us or live with my mom and dad for a bit to help like I don't know help with her care help out around the house like provide companionship and I think that was absolutely huge and there was one yeah like one sort of like you know memory there that stands out that like never would have happened otherwise which was my so my mom and dad had actually just bought a house um together before like a month before she was diagnosed and their plan was to retire there and so you know just like super sad thinking about like my dad retiring there alone and then like never having gotten to live there together but at the same time like my aunt put a really beautiful spin on it which was that like it was fate you know it was meant to happen the fact that you guys like bought this house before he you know if you had if it if the timing had been shifted by like a month it wouldn't have happened because they you know it'd be like oh we're dealing with like a terminal illness doesn't make sense to buy a house right now but yeah like because the timing worked out the way that it did it was a sign that like you know this was meant to be and my we had you know some like work to do before it was ready for us to move into um and we <clears throat> got in like a little over our heads in terms of like how much like repainting there was to be done it was kind of this like you know crunch where we had ended our last lease so like definitely needed to move in at a certain date and my dad's older sister and her husband were I don't know I think anyone who enjoys actually painting houses is out of their mind but they were out of their minds in a good way because they offered to drive up from Arizona in their Airstream and like helped us repaint the house during the day um and so we got to um, spend some time with them too which was which is great and so yeah one night while they were here we wanted to I don't know I think like my dad and I both felt a little bit bad for like spending all of this time like painting this house that my mom would you know like Maybe we could hold out hope at that point that she would, you know, make it to be able to live there for a bit, but like, you know, realistically, like not really get to enjoy. And so felt bad for like sinking all this time into this. But at the same time, like wanted to spend time with my um, aunt and uncle on my dad's side while they were out here. And so one night we, my friend Kieran, um, in a really kind gesture, he and his uh, his girlfriend Alex had baked or had made some like lasagna for like our family and frozen it so that we would have this like lasagna ready to bake at a moment's notice and like reheated that for or baked that for dinner. But we had my um, aunt and uncle from my 
dad's side and then my Chinese aunt and uncle and my mom and my dad all over for dinner at the house I was renting at the time. And it was like, I think beforehand on the drive up, my mom and her brother and sister stopped at Rockaway Beach and like watched, you know, climbed up the hill, uh, which was like a huge feat for her at that point. Because, you know, like a couple weeks ago, she'd been like, you know, completely like sapped of energy and strength and bedridden. And the fact that she, you know, of course she's like pushing it too far and like, you know, freaking going on a hike already. It's like, ah, maybe take it easy. But, you know, like I had to go out and like watch the sunset. And I still have like all of the sort of like derpy like photos from from that that I look back on. But yeah, so they like, you know, came out to Pacifica and like saw the sunset and then we all had this meal together. You know, like that sort of like weird, like, you know, like uncle from... My, like, American uncle meet my Chinese uncle and American aunt meet my Chinese aunt. And this kind of, like, you know, like, my mom, like, thankfully was, uh, you know, we were able to rely on her as our translator. But, like, bridging the language gap there and whatnot. I don't know, just, like, a funny, like, collision of worlds that, you know, was able to happen in, like, a very nice way that probably never would have happened otherwise. Thank you so much to Anna, to Brian Pedersen for the support, and to Coco Brodin for the music. Get stoked for next week, where we talk with someone cool about something cool. Don't know who and don't know what yet, but I promise it'll be good. As always, tell your friends about us, do cool things, and if you liked it, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.